How do we love the people that we despise? I mean, it is so hard sometimes. How many of you since this series have started have come across a critical, a controlling person or a needy person, and this has actually helped you? I mean, it's helped me think through some stuff. And uh, it's this really is a good series about boundaries. Like, Healthy boundaries. Sometimes we feel mean. I feel mean setting boundaries sometimes because I feel like this other person might get offended. But I've learned there's a great way to do this. And so today we're going to be talking about hypocrites. Now, how many people know a hypocrite? Come on, raise your hand. Y'all know a hypocrite. How many of you are sitting next to a hypocrite? I'm joking. Oh, (laughs) Sam just got put in a doghouse. I just felt it right now. Don't raise your hand on that one. Come on. Just stare and nod. Smile and nod. That's all you got to do. Okay, but do you know that the number one complaint from non-Christians about Christians is what? We're hypocrites. And I'm just going to be honest, they're not wrong, right? Like, they're not wrong. A lot of us and everyone in this room is guilty of it at some point. All of us struggle with hypocrisy. Why? Because we're humans. All right, I just want to say that give yourself some grace today, all right? Have I cut people off and yelled at people while driving my car that has an Oasis sticker on the back? Yes. Okay, I have. And you have too, all right? And if you want an Oasis sticker, they're available at the info desk. You can go grab one. (laughs) Try not to be crazy, though. But I will say that sticker has stopped me more than it is you know, not stop me. So, uh, but all of us struggle with this, right? Uh, and if we're honest, we need to deal with this. We need, and we need to learn how to love people that are struggling with this. And so, uh, but if we're going to understand what a hypocrite is, we need to understand kind of where that word came from. That word is actually older than the times of Jesus. Like, this word's been around for year, thousands of years. It actually started in the Greek theater uh, with this word. It was Hippocrates, I think is how you say it. I don't know if I put it up there. There we go. And it, it is someone that was a stage actor. And it was someone that would put on a mask. I don't know if you know anything about Greek theater, but when they would act, uh, they would have multiple uh, Every actor would play multiple parts, and you would know their part by what mask they were wearing. And it's a person who wears a mask. It's a person who betrays one thing in front of people, but that's not who they really are. So when they get in front of the right people, they play the right part, but that's not really truly who they are. So that's where the word kind of came from. People would soon start insulting others and say, you're just a hypocrite. Like, you're, you're not being a genuine person person. And I want you to think of it like an actor in today's world. Like, uh, think about your favorite actor or actress, right? Like, who's someone that you just idolize? I know for me, um, I really like the actor Steve Carell. And it's because, full disclosure, Steph and I love The Office. And we've watched it through many times. And uh, I would love to have a meal with Steve Carell. I think it'd be awesome. But it would be crazy of me to think that if I had a meal with Steve Carell, that I'd be having a meal with Michael Scott, his character on The Office, right? Like, that's not who he really is. That's who he's acting like Michael Scott when he's in the office, but that's not who he really is. And, uh, and the problem is, is that there's a lot of people in today's world, especially Christ followers, who claim to be one thing in front of the right people. They're going to act a certain way, but really that's not who they really are. When, they, when, when they're by themselves, when they're with most other people, they act differently. And Jesus, he really didn't have a lot of tolerance for hypocrites. He'd actually had some pretty strong things to say uh, about he, it, it, hypocrites irked him just as much as they irk us, right? He said this in Matthew 23. He said, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
That's what he said about hypocrites. And it was something um, that really bothered him. And you've all seen people like this before. You've seen it. Your coworker. My goodness, how many of y'all know people like this? You have a coworker that when your boss comes around, my gosh, so they are brown nosing, they are saying the right things, they put on a smile, they're putting on the act, but as soon as that coworker leaves, they're like the worst. You know, I'm like, man, you're, you don't do anything that you say that you're doing, right? Like you've seen people like that before. Maybe for you, you had a pastor that you really idolized and you looked up to, they were funny. They were so caring. They were charismatic. They had just this draw about them. And then all of a sudden you find out that they had this deep, dark secret and something that they've been hiding from people and you see them fall. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. If that person can do something like that, how in the world? And you've seen hypocrisy. And unfortunately, that's a very real thing. And I just want to remind you, pastors are people before they're pastors, by the way. All right. So don't put your faith in a pastor. I just want to tell and your pastor is telling you this. Don't put your faith in a pastor because they're going to let you down every time. Put your faith in Jesus, by the way. All right. That's just for free today. You can have that. Um, maybe it's your boss. Maybe they say they have values and they have ethics. Maybe they even believe in Jesus, but they treat people like trash. They don't let people off, right? They, they, they aren't kind. Uh, they're condescending. They never tell you anything that you're doing right. They, they cut corners and you know about it and you don't really know what to do. Or maybe they say certain things about certain people that make you uncomfortable. We've all seen hypocrites before. Right. So let's build the foundation. All right. So if we're going to respond the right way, if we're going to do the right thing, we got to I'm going to quickly just build a foundation. And I want to answer this question in order for us to do this. All right. The question is, why are hypocrites acting that way? Why are they acting like that? Because why they are helps determine what we do. So why they're acting that way is going to help us determine what we should do. So here's my challenge to you. Take notes today. All right. Today, I promise you, we're going to be flying through some stuff. And this is some really good, applicable things that you can apply to your life today. All right. So the first thing is this. Why are they acting like that? Well, the first answer I would give you is maybe they don't really know God. Like maybe God hasn't truly changed them. Maybe they've been coming to church. Maybe they've been joining a small group, but maybe they haven't truly met God yet. And so we want to help give people some grace. We want to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? Maybe they don't know God. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. It says, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and they're not living in the truth. So here's what that's telling us is that a lot of people say that they know God, but they really don't know God. And I think sometimes we have to consider, all right, why are they acting like a hypocrite? Well, it could be because they really don't know God. God hasn't truly changed them. God hasn't, they haven't entered into a true relationship with Jesus yet. And we need to be able to look at that and go and understand that. And we'll get to this in a second, but we have to start like, understanding that when people don't know God, we can't expect them to act like we want them to act. All right, we're going to talk about that in a second. So maybe they don't really know God. And I think that's valid. The second thing is this. Maybe they know God, but they don't know better yet. Like maybe they're young Christians, okay? I cannot get mad at my son who just learned to mow, okay? He helps mow a couple little spots in our yard that's hard for the riding mower to get to. And I'll tell you, He's not the best mower in the world. I'm sorry, he's, he, no one's in here is going to be hiring him anytime soon, okay? 
And that's okay. Do you know why? Because he's done it twice. He doesn't know any better yet. His lines are not straight, okay? Uh, and and he, he doesn't know, but he, he doesn't know because he's not done it very long. And, he, and I got to give him some grace. And I have to also understand the other day, the other day, I was standing there watching him because I'm like, he's going to chop his foot off if I'm not here. And so he, I was trying to tell him something and the lawnmower's on. That dude starts walking toward me. Got about that far from my feet with the front. I'm like, dude, stop. Like, you can kill me. Stop it. You know, and so, but he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know that there's a blade. I've tried to teach him, but he hasn't comprehend yet. There's a blade under there that will cut you and it will hurt and, uh, and you'll lose your feet. You know, so I, so we're trying, but maybe the people that are acting like hypocrites that, you know, maybe they just don't know better yet. Like I know uh, some of you have past and you have a story and maybe when you became a Christ follower, you still cussed a little. Right? Like you still maybe drank a little too much. Maybe you did some things that you don't do now, but then you were learning and you were trying to get better at it. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, this is Paul talking to, the, uh, to Corinthians, and these people struggled with this, by the way. They said they were Christ followers, but they were having like... Uh, a lot of very immoral things happening at their church because they were pagans before this. They didn't know any better. So Paul is like, oh, what do I do with this? Well, here's what he says. He says, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. You weren't quite there yet, right? I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world and as though you were infants in Christ. He was recognizing like, hey, you have, may have converted in your heart, but there's some things that are, you're still growing in, and that's okay. I'm here to help you and guide you through this. Here's something to remember when you deal with someone that doesn't know yet. This is a person that doesn't need correcting. They need instructing. They need someone to teach them. They need someone to show them. They don't need someone to wag their finger in their face and say, yo, you should do this. That's not what they need. They need a person that's going to instruct, that's going to say, hey, we don't do that. Here's why. I'm, I'm going to try to help you, right? And so here's, here's why uh, you need to do it this way. Or here's why this is important. Here's why this is going to hurt you later. Oh, I didn't even think about that. And a lot of times you can effectively minister to people because they just don't know better yet. So maybe they don't really know God. Maybe they don't know better yet. But here's the type of person we're going to focus on today. Maybe they do know better, but they still disobey God. Maybe they do know better. But they still disobey God. This is the type of person we're going to kind of talk about how to love today because these are the people that probably need our intervention the most. They need us the most. And uh, it says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. I think there's a lot of people that, and maybe subconsciously they're doing this. They're not, I, don't, I wouldn't say a lot of people are consciously doing this, but they go, Hey, I prayed the prayer. I walked down an aisle. I joined a group. I served at church. It's okay. If I do this a little bit, right? Like it's okay. I'm still going to go to heaven when I die, right? Like it kind of gives them a license to do what they want to do. And here's the deal. That is a dangerous and slippery slope for us to get in today. And that's a dangerous and slippery slope for people. Um, and, and it starts with us by saying something like, uh, it's nobody's business anyway. Like what I do when I'm by myself, when I do when I'm with my friends, it's no one's business. Or they say, you know, people don't need to know. They don't need to know that part of my life. Uh, or they think it's not a huge deal. 
Like this isn't that, I could be doing something worse, right? Or, hey, I've come a long way already. Like if I still struggle a little bit, it's okay. Or maybe they say something like, well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. You should have seen me before, right? I was really messed up before. But here's the deal. Whenever we start down the slope of being able to do the things that we want to do, I'm telling you, it gets tricky because soon you'll start to rationalize your decisions. And after you start rationalizing, it's only a matter of time before you start justifying it. And then once you start justifying it, be careful because you've probably already become a full-blown hypocrite at this point, right? You start to rationalize it, you start to justify it, and then you become a hypocrite. For some people in here, um, you might be addicted to porn. You might be looking at stuff on the internet when no one else is around. You might be doing something that you know in the back of your, your, your heart it's wrong, but you're thinking, well, it's not hurting anyone. Like, I'm not hurting anybody, right? Like, well, if my wife met my needs, I wouldn't have to do this. And all of a sudden, you're starting to rationalize. Then you're starting to justify. And now you're full blown into this thing and you don't even really care. And it's not really bothering you anymore. Maybe for you, you're thinking, "Uh, I'm not materialistic. I just like nice things, right? Like, I just like to have nice things. Well, how do you act when that nice thing stops working? Maybe you get like super angry. And it's because this nice thing that you have isn't working or it gets stolen or something happens or the new thing comes out. And all of a sudden you start to rationalize. Well, I just like nice things, right? Like, well, I just, I just think that this, I'm just trying to, and you start to rationalize, you start to justify, but here's the deal. Sometimes you things, you don't have nice things. Those nice things have you. And maybe that's something that you struggle with. And, you, and because of that, you, you have trouble being generous. You have trouble blessing others. And you have a hard time when those things quit working. Maybe for you, you're thinking, I don't have a problem with anger. Well, next time you ride with that person, they're flipping someone the bird and they're screaming at somebody with an Oasis sticker on the back of their car. Maybe you do have a problem with it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but it all starts with rationalizing. Well, that person cut me off. Who cares? Right? Like, I'm... Preaching to myself, Lord, don't strike me dead right now. But we have a hard time because it's so easy for us to rationalize. It's so easy for them to justify. But before we know it, when we start doing those things, we become a hypocrite. It says this in Jude chapter 1, verse 4. It says, For certain individuals who condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped them in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, our God, into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as as our only sovereign and Lord. I said that took me forever to read. I'm sorry. Uh, Is that the wrong verse up there? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I do these things and I make mistakes. I'm a human being. All right. Uh, but Jude is saying this, that there's, there's some people that struggle with this. And whenever you do this, whenever you use God's grace as a license to justify or to rationalize things, you're perverting God's grace in your life. You're, you're making it dirty. You're making it nasty. You're turning God's grace into something that it doesn't need to be. So what the heck do we do with these people? These people that bother us, that go, man, they're, they're just full-blown living in hypocrisy. Is it none of our business? Is it our business? You know, should we be non-confrontational? Should we be all up in their business? I'm so glad you asked. But before we get there, before I answer those questions, here's what I want everyone to understand. Everyone lock eyes with me for just a second. It is important that we get this right. If you're a Christ follower in this room, if you're not, I'm glad you're here. Keep listening. This is still for you. But if you're a Christ follower in this room, it is important that we get this right because we've gotten this wrong too many times. 
It's important that we get this right. And I'm going to tell you right now, getting this right starts with prayer. And so I'm going to give you a few prayers that you can pray before you talk to people that have these problems. So how do we prayerly confront those who are openly disobeying God whenever they should be obeying God? How do you prayerfully confront it? The first thing is this. Say this. Say, God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. Y'all say restoration. restoration. Help me confront with the goal of restoration. Listen, your heart in this matters. How we approach these people really, really matters. It says this in Galatians chapter 6. It says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should, what's that say? Gently and hum away. This is a different version. You should gently restore this person. All right, sorry, I have a different version in here. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore this person gently. What does it mean to restore? It means to bring back in order, to put back into a line, to complete is what that means. And so here's what you have to do. See yourself as a guide, not a judge. See yourself as a guide, not a a judge. Our purpose is to restore. Our purpose is not to shame, to embarrass, to insult, to call names, to call out. No, no, we don't call people out. We call people up. That means we have an idea that like, okay, there is something I need to acknowledge here, but I think that God put something better in you. And because I believe God put something better in you, I'm going to call you up to a new standard. See yourself as a guide and not a judge. Y'all, some of us, we need to get this better. We need to do better at this. Um, uh, and this helps gently lead a person back to God. Let me say it this way. Your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help them be right with God. I'm going to say that again. Your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help them be right with God. That helps us have the right attitude, the right heart. I'm not here to just prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong. That's not what God intended. No, no, no. I'm going to help you see that you need to be right with God. Have the right, humble attitude. I need you to see that you, that you need to be right with God. I, I think this is amazing. Jesus modeled this so perfectly. Uh, if y'all know the story, there was a woman in the Bible, in the New Testament, that was caught in the act of adultery. You know what that means? She was caught in the act. You know what I'm saying? Like it, There was no question about it. She was caught in the act of adultery. And so the religious people had every right to kill her. She was supposed to be publicly killed in front of everybody, and everyone was supposed to be involved. They called that stoning people back then. And so this person legally could be stoned. And so they were trying to trick Jesus, and they drugged this woman out. She'd been caught in the act. She was humiliated. And she gets out and she's in front of all these men, all these people in the middle of the, in the middle of the street. And they look at Jesus and they say, hey, the law says that we get to stone her. We get to kill her right now. What do you say? You know what Jesus said? Nothing. He bent down to the ground and he started writing with his finger in the ground. And we don't really know what he wrote. But the Bible tells us that starting with the oldest, all of the people dropped their stones and they walked away. And once everyone walked away, Jesus looked at this woman and says, where are your accusers? And she said, there aren't any left. He said, that's right. And I'm not going to condemn you either. And he looks at her and he does something. He acknowledges the fact that she sinned. 
And he looks at her and says, hey, now go and sin no more. You were just caught in the act, but hey, there's something better for you. Go and sin no more. He didn't come down. If anyone has the right to come down on somebody, it's Jesus. And she did something pretty bad. But he said, hey, go and sin no more. There's something better for you. So listen, we have to prayerfully go to God and say, God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. This isn't about me. This is about them being right with God. The second thing we have to do is we have to say this. We have to say, God, help me confront carefully. Y'all say carefully. carefully. It says this in Galatians chapter 6, dear brothers and sisters, we said this a second ago. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. This is the right version now. All right. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. When you're confronting somebody with an issue, you have to be careful. Why? Because at that point, you are so vulnerable to pride because you're, you can easily get on your spiritual high horse. And that's not where God wants you to be. You're never supposed to be there. So you have to be careful that you're doing this with the right heart. Because if you let pride creep in, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. We've all heard it said that pride comes before the fall. So anytime there's pride, it is a prerequisite to a fall. Show me somebody that's fallen and I'll show you a person that struggled with pride. So when we're confronting people, we have to be careful. We have to be coming with the right heart. We have to be coming with an open understanding. We're not going to assume the worst about them. We're going to try to assume the best about them. And we're going to be careful to confront. Here's what it says in that Galatians 6. Put that back up for me, Kev. 6.1. It says, dear brothers and sisters. All right? So I'm going to leave this up for a little bit because I'm going to talk about it. And it says, if your brother, or the Bible also says this in another uh, verse. This is what Jesus is talking about. When someone among believers is messing up, uh, Jesus said, when your brother or sister sins against you. All right? So I just want to stop here for a second. Uh, if you're a brother or sister, that shows that there's a relationship there. Right? And it says this, brothers and sisters. If another believer is, is, is sinning among you, you should restore them gently. Brothers and sisters insinuates that there's a relationship. That means if a fellow Christian is sinning, if a fellow Christian, a person that is a believer in Jesus, is not quite walking right, or maybe they're struggling with this hypocritical spirit, that is when we're going to intervene. But let me tell you something real clear. The, the church has become very bad at condemning people that aren't Christians. And I'm just going to tell you right now, this is not a church where we do that. Why? Because the Bible doesn't speak on how Christians should act toward non-Christians. Non-Christians act like non-Christians, period. And we expect them to act like Christians. We expect them to have the same values that we have. We expect them to live the same way that we live. And guess what? They're not. And, and when we condemn them and we throw stones at them and we do things and we, we're hurtful to them on the internet, we say nasty things. Guess what? All you're doing is driving them further away from God. This is a church where a non-Christian can come in, by the way, and hopefully they can belong here. Hopefully they can find people here that are going to love them and support them and lovingly guide them to God. Why? Because I've learned that I can't change people. Only God can change people. So what I'm, I just want to be clear. 
clear, I'm not talking about people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. It irks me. I mean, I'm talking, if you want to make me angry, let me see a Christ follower hurt a, a non-believer. That's not how we win people over. We win people by introducing them to Jesus, the only thing that can change. And so before we go any further, I want us to understand this. I'm not talking about us confronting non-Christians. That's not what we are called to do. Now, what I am talking about is when you see a person that you know and love, they have a relationship with Jesus, and they're struggling with some hypocrisy in their life, this is how we should intervene. So Jesus said, hey, when a brother or sister, someone that's a believer, someone that you have a relationship with, here's how you're going to do it. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to go directly to them. We go directly to them. We don't talk to someone else about it. We don't gossip about it. We don't light them up in the comment section on Instagram or Facebook. We don't do that. That's not how we handle stuff. No, we handle stuff. We go directly to them. And we say, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. Here's some things that I've noticed. And that's how we do it. We go direct to them. And a lot of times what happens is that opens their eyes, especially if you have a relationship with them. Man, if you have a relationship with them, it gives you some relational coin in your pocket to spend and go, hey, I need you to listen to me. I noticed you're really struggling. I've seen you talk bad about your wife in front of everybody. That's, are you cool? Everything okay? Because that's not cool. And then that gives some, uh, that gives some room to go, are y'all okay? Do y'all need some help? Like, start with, hey, I want to help you, man. I, I see something better in you. You can be a great husband. You can be the godly man of your house. But we're going to go directly to them. And if that doesn't work, what we do is this is what the Bible teaches. We're going to take a couple other people that have a relationship. And we're going to sit down again and say, hey, man, listen, I'm, I'm still seeing this. And I just love you. And I think your marriage has so much to offer people. I think God wants you to have a godly marriage. This is just something we've seen, man. And we just care about you. We love you. We're not talking about you over here. We, we want to help. Is there anything that we can do to help you? I mean, do you need some accountability? Like, what do you need? Do you need counseling? Whatever. Well, if that doesn't work, a lot of times that will work because that will then open their eyes further to go, wow, I do have a problem. If that doesn't work, if they still don't listen, the Bible teaches that we're going to elevate it to leadership. So now we've tried this, you've tried this, and they're still acting a certain way. Well, guess what? Elevate it to leadership. Bring it to Stephanie or I. Bring it to the small group leader. Bring it to the key volunteer in the area. Like, do something to where the church can know. And here's what we're not going to do. I'm not going to bring them up in front of everybody and go, all right, tell us what we told you. Right? No, that's not what we're going to do. Stephanie and I are going to have that conversation and go, hey, we love you. Here's some things that have been brought to our attention. Can you tell me about it? And we're going to help try to guide this person into restoration. And if that doesn't work, here's what the Bible teaches. That we need to redefine that relationship a little bit. Because at this point, this person is choosing to live a lifestyle that might be against what God's word is. That doesn't mean we, we let them go. That doesn't mean that we're going to throw them under the bus. That doesn't mean we're going to forget about them. That does mean that we have to redefine our relationship. And that's not being mean. That's having healthy boundaries. And go, hey, I can't continue to be as close of a friend as you need me to be or want me to be if you're going to continue to act this way because I'm trying to help you and you're showing that you're not willing to be helped. And once you have that conversation, the relationship's going to kind of go wherever it needs to go. So that's what we do. We're going to pray these prayers. We're going to say, uh, God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. God, help me confront carefully. 
But here's the last prayer that you need to pray. It's this. God, help me see when I'm a hypocrite. God, help me see when I'm a hypocrite, when I'm the problem. Hypocrisy is really hard to see in the mirror. And I would be willing to bet that a lot of us struggle with this, and we're not even aware that we're struggling with it. So maybe all of us in this room today need to pray this prayer. God, help me see when I'm a hypocrite. I'll tell you, when I was writing this and preparing for this, I started to think of many things that I'm a hypocrite in. Like, I'm like, man, I tell people to do that. And I really try my hardest to not get up here and teach on something that I'm not doing already because that feels hypocritical to me. But I'm not perfect. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a perfect person. Those that know me well know this very well. And I struggle sometimes with some things. And it's hard to see in the mirror, but it's taken some people pointing out some things to me in my life. Many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba in the Bible. David was a king. And uh, that joker was hanging up on his rooftop, and he saw a woman bathing. And uh, he liked what he saw. And so what, what happened was, is David was already married. He was supposed to be off to war, but he was ignoring his responsibilities, and he was at home, and he had noticed this girl. And I want to guarantee you that this was a multiple uh, type of offense where he kept going up on there around the same time, kept seeing her bathing, was like, whew, I like that. I want that. So David sends for somebody to bring that woman to him. And let me just tell you, she did not have a choice. So that's, it's probably a lot worse than what we would imagine it being and what the Bible blatantly says. But when the king tells you to do something back then, you don't have a choice. You go or they just, they could chop your head off. I mean, so she goes, she's probably a little afraid, uh, but she goes, they end up sleeping together and the worst possible thing happens is what he thought, she gets pregnant. So he tries to hide it. And this is a man that the Bible says multiple times, this was a man after God's own heart. When he was picked to be king, God saw something on the inside of him that was so great that he said, I'm gonna build a kingdom off this guy. Now this guy had it all, but here he is making a really stupid mistake and it bit him in the butt. She gets pregnant. Then he tries to hide it. He thinks, I'm gonna bring her husband home. I'm gonna get him nice and drunk. And I'm gonna say, hey, Go home, be with your wife. You've been gone off to war for a long time. And he was so loyal to David that he wouldn't leave. He said, how could I go home when my men are out here fighting? So he tries it again. He gets him home again. He gets him drunk again. And he's like, go home to be with your wife. Come on, because if he can sleep with her, then this could be her baby, right? No one would know that what, what happened. And he refused again. And the only option that David saw to get out of this mess was he said, I'm going to have to put this guy, her husband, in a situation where he's going to get killed in war. So he put him on the front lines and he told the commanding officer at my signal, pull everyone out except for this husband. And so they go into battle, they ride their horses up and at a signal, everyone else runs away except for this guy and he ends up dying. So now David's committed adultery, possibly assault. He's gotten this woman pregnant and then he tried to hide it. And then he killed her husband. Some pretty big offenses there. But he was the king, man. No one can mess with him. Well, all of a sudden, Nathan, the prophet, gets a word from God that something's not right with David. So he goes to David, and he tells David this story. 
And in this story, there's a man uh, that has this sheep and someone steals the sheep and someone kills the sheep. And all of a sudden, uh, he, he was, Nathan was basically telling a story that mirrored the story that David just did. And all of a sudden, Nathan goes, what do you think should happen to that guy that stole that sheep and killed it? And here's what, here's what David said. It says this in 2 Samuel verse, or chapter 12. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man and, uh, for the one that he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, drops the bomb on him off the top ropes. You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I have anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. He was a hypocrite. He couldn't even see it. And he killed a guy. How many of us are struggling with something and we just don't even see it right now? We have to pray, God, help me see when I'm a hypocrite. David was awfully critical of this guy in this story. But I want everyone, y'all, please hear this right here. Wherever you are the most condemning is often a reflection of where you're the most vulnerable. Wherever you're the most condescending, when you're the most critical, is often a reflection of where you're the most vulnerable. You criticize somebody about how they spend their money, it could be that greed has you. You criticize somebody for the way that they dress. I can't believe she would wear such a revealing thing. I can't believe the picture she posts on Instagram, blah, 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 all this stuff. I wouldn't be shocked if there's something in your heart that needs to be addressed. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's pride, maybe it's envy, whatever it is. Wherever you're the most condemning is often the reflection of where you're the most vulnerable. And that's how prideful we can be. That's how blind that we can be. So, so Nathan confronts David. And David starts to see the hypocrisy in his life. And it, and here's the deal, David didn't retaliate. He didn't yell back. He didn't kill Nathan, which he could have. He didn't do anything. He actually sat there and took it like a man and went, okay, I hear that. And he repented. The Bible says he went through a season where he was weeping bitterly and that baby ended up dying as a consequence of all this stuff. And it was a sad, sad thing that he went through. And so David, in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of this just low moment in his life, he pins the 51st Psalm. And he says this, it says this, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. He had a repentant heart. He had a humble heart in that moment. He said, God, you're right. I need you to restore me. I need you to create a clean heart in me because the one I have now has gotten pretty dirty and pretty nasty. One of the ways that the Bible describes people is like sheep. Have y'all heard the Bible talk to us, that talk about us like we're sheep, right? That's a big analogy that the Bible uses. And a reason why we're called that is for several reasons. Sheep are really stupid and 
how many of y'all know we can be pretty dumb at times, right? Uh, sheep, uh, they can't defend themselves. Like they don't have any natural defense mechanisms and they can get taken out like that. Sheep also wander off all the time. That's why they have to have a shepherd. That's why it's so important for a shepherd to guide a sheep or now they're dogs, right? Like sheep dogs can help protect and do all this stuff. But back then it was people. And they had to have shepherds because they couldn't protect themselves. They couldn't, they would literally just walk off the side of a mountain, like a cliff, if they weren't, that's how dumb they are. But it's a perfect analogy of how we are a lot of times. Like we can't protect ourselves like we think we can. Uh, we wander off all the time and, and we see the shiny thing and we just go, ooh, and we're going to go wander over there to it, right? Like that's just how we are. That's how sheep are. Well, sheep wander and they chase after things that will get them killed oftentimes. And we're no different. Just like a sheep wanders, you and I wander all the time. It says this in James, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, there's that word again. If someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is why the church, this is why you and I have to get this right, is because we're dealing with people's eternities here. When, when, when we see a person wander off, it's important that we do get involved in a loving way, in a prayerful way, in a way that seeks to restore them. And we're gonna say, hey, no, 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 come on. Let, let, come back to the family. Come on, let's go, let's go back. Come on, there's still your, your, your seed is still available. Come on, we still love you. Like we don't think negatively, come on, look, come on. We gotta get back, why? Because what you're doing is you're actually saving them from a future of hurt and pain and loneliness and all these things. But when we can get them back into the family of God, well, we can get them back into the flock Man, they can find protection. They can find safety. They can find other brothers and sisters. They can find, they can find God again. That's why this is, we gotta get this right. We don't need to be the people shouting and waving our finger, hey, you gotta get better at this. No, 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 that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of Jesus. No, we need to gently bring them back into restoration and say, hey, God has more for you. God has more in store for you. And what you're chasing is not worth it. But God is, come on, come back, let's go. I see something in you, come on. That's the type of people that God wants us to be to people who we see as hypocrites. But let me tell you, don't go be seeing other people as hypocrites and not address the speck in your, the plank in your eye before you get out the speck in someone else's eye. We're so good at finding the speck in someone else's eye and here we are, we got a big old log sticking out of ours. Don't do that. That's not, no, no, no. Deal with your stuff and let's help restore people. This is a church where we restore people, by the way. We give people that second chance. We give people that second chance. We believe in people here. So I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. The Bible tells us that from the moment we're born, we're prone to wander. That's how we are. It's called a sin problem. And our sin problem makes us wander so far from God that we can't get back without God's help. I don't care how hard you try, you can be the best person, you can give the most money, you can serve, you can do all these things, but that doesn't make you a Christ follower. 
But because we've wandered off because of our sin, we've wandered off so long, God saw the problem. And because he's the good shepherd, he sent his son to die for us. And he died for us and he paid for our sins. And now there's a way to get back to the flock. There's a way to get back to the shepherd. There's a way to get back to the father today. And that's through a relationship with Jesus. And I believe there's people in here today that you've been wandering and you've, in your soul, you feel like you've been wandering. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. In your soul, you've been wandering and maybe you just wandered into church today. Well, my goodness, it couldn't be in a better place because I think today's the day you can start a relationship with Jesus, the shepherd, and you can join the family of God today. And if that's you, if you wanna make the decision today to join the family of God, to make Jesus the shepherd in your life, the Lord of your life, I wanna help you do that today. I wanna help lead you in a prayer. Prayer's not magical, but it's just the posture of our heart that matters in this moment. So if you wanna make that decision, I just wanna see who I'm dealing with. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you up here, I promise you. I just wanna just slip your hand up on the count of three. Here we go, one, two, three. If you wanna make a decision, come on, just slip your hand up, put it back down. Thank you. And if that's you today, I want you to say this prayer after me. Say, God, say it in your heart. I recognize I have a problem. And I thank you for taking care of that problem on the cross. And today I invite you to be my shepherd. I invite you to be the Lord in my heart. And in the best way I know how, I will live for you. In Jesus' name we pray.